ICA Gear has outfitted over 10,000 bow hunters across the country, and we're continuing to raise the bar when it comes to bow hunting camo. New for the 23 season, we introduce our never-before-seen panel fabric system designed to be dead quiet along with our patent-pending bow hunting collar, Osseo Gear. Features and function built for bow hunters by bow hunters. Learn more at asiogear.com. Welcome to Bear Bow Hunter Podcast with your host, Nate Bailey, where we look to the ancient paths of our hunting ancestors to guide our future, where woodsmanship and hard work outweigh advanced shooting devices, where we value those who have gone before us and welcome those who are yet to come. Join us as we exchange valuable insight about the Bear Bow Hunter's lifestyle. Hey guys, if you get anything out of these uh, podcasts, you could help support us by going over to our websites, the Life Outdoors, that's with the Z at the end, dot com, and barebowhunter.com. On them, we provide some merchandise. Uh, we have shirts, hats, and mugs, and things like that. And we also are bringing on a new soap called Backcountry Bar. It is completely uh, biodegradable. And it is, it's a really good soap. If you like, you know, some of the newer soaps that are out there, um, this is kind of hunter-oriented soap, and, and it, it, you'll love it. It's got a burr scent, and uh, it lathers really well. And again, it's biodegradable, all natural. There's even, even the coloring is spinach and charcoal, so they're even natural. So if you want to support us, go over, check it out, and uh, now let's get on with today's show. All right, welcome to another edition of Barebow Hunters Podcast, and today we got with us Todd Smith. And Todd, you're a co-founder of the Ashby Foundation? I am. Yeah, it's been quite a journey so far. And uh, we're going to talk to you a little bit today about broadhead design, but before we do that... Um, can you give us just kind of a, a, a overview or an airplane flight of what the Ashby Foundation is? Well, sure. Um, a lot of people nowadays know about Dr. Ed Ashby's research. Uh, he was involved way back in 1985 with Tony Tompkinson in the Natal study where they tested various arrow and broadhead bills to see if bow hunting could be made legal in Africa. And they were the first province to eventually legalize bow hunting, and that started. Nobody would be bow hunting Africa right now if it weren't for those studies. So they proved that bow hunting equipment was absolutely a viable method for harvesting ethically, cleanly African big game species. And interestingly enough, at that time, the the evidence was so overwhelming that they mandated what they called single-bladed broadheads. We usually call them two-blade broadheads because they have two edges. Right. And that, right. at the time, they actually mandated the single bevel design because the testing that they did, just the, the evidence was overwhelmingly in favor of the effectiveness of the single bevel broadhead, especially the high mechanical advantage version of that. And then he spent the next 27 years researching and documenting and researching and documenting he's he's just been he's an amazing man and he's done it all and he's lived all over the world and bow hunted and rifle hunted all over the world and his his mind is phenomenal he he can put these things in language that you know I can understand the average guy can understand but he understands the science and the physics and everything behind it so it's really amazing and at one point he was in Australia and he had the opportunity to really do some uh, arrow and broadhead research and they did with a culling um, enterprise they were culling these big buffalo and then they would prop them up and within 30 minutes they had to take all of their shots and all of their shots had 116 I believe it was data points and so they plotted each one of these data points and they did this just over and over and over and I don't know the number 
and I don't know the number of years, but I know that it's all recorded, it's all in his reports, and these reports slowly just just said, hey, this is what we did, and these were our results, and this is what we did, and these were our results. In time, he came up with, due to these results, the top 12 penetration enhancement factors, and those those factors are ranked in order. Number one is the most important, which happens to be structural integrity. You know, if, if anything breaks, penetration stops. Number two is perfect flight, because if your arrow isn't flying well, it's wasting energy, and so it's not driving home with as much power as it could be. Number three, mechanical advantage of your broadhead, and it goes on and on and on through all 12. So anyway, mainstream wasn't... Uh, wasn't open to this. They just weren't receiving it because the major manufacturers weren't manufacturing these types of equipment. So it was kind of like downplayed and, and magazine articles, well, magazines didn't want to publish his articles or any of his findings. And so all these years later, after years and years and years of people losing game, wounding game, wondering why they're lighter, faster, uh, setups weren't lethal, and after being in the field and actually experiencing the disappointment and, and wounding animals and seeing them not cleanly harvested, they nowadays you can research, right? And so you research and you come across the Ashby reports, and then you start reading and reading and reading and reading, and you think, oh my gosh, this is amazing. This is absolutely amazing, and it's all backed by physics and science, and not only that, but now it's backed by years and years of in the field bow hunters actually implementing and shooting these kinds of arrow and broadhead builds and getting complete pass-throughs and and blowing through shoulder blades and not necessarily intentionally but like we've even seen elephant ribs split and mm. that's unheard of wow uh, we've had guys take Cape buffalo and Asiatic water buffalo and elk and moose you know North American game through the shoulder blades it's it's just crazy and so eventually there were a few people that said we need to make a foundation because doc is not able to carry on his research so we wanted to build a foundation that would carry on the research because whenever you learn something 10 more questions come around you know you want to know the why you want to know the why you want to know the why and you know of course nowadays with the internet and so much information available we have people from all over the world saying what about this what about this what about this well as a foundation we've been keeping record of all these requests and sorting them and we are just now in the initial stages of getting things together to do more research we're doing it not in a large scale like what Doc did but we're still doing some controlled testing and we're also trying to find some colleges like we've talked with Auburn and Texas to do peer review because like some of the guys in Germany that have reached out to us to help us get bow hunting legalized in Germany have said you know our people and our government officials are going to put a lot more stock in results if they have been peer-reviewed and endorsed by a university not just some guy said this is what happened right so we're really excited about that and I was gonna wait to the end to talk about donations but <laughs> <laughs> no go ahead you can find out more about the foundation at ashbybowhunting.org. We're fairly new. We're trying to get off the ground. We're dedicated as we can be to perpetuating Doc Ashby's uh, testing and studies. And the whole the whole idea is helping bow hunters be more effective. It's better for the bow hunter. It's better for guides, outfitters, PHs, and it's better for the animals because when you shoot high FOC, heavier arrow builds, single bevel broadheads, and you're able to dispatch animals cleanly and and lower the lo wounding loss rate, that's win-win. Everybody. Everybody and the animals. Right, yeah. And, you know, Gage and I both saw that last year with our elk, and we were both shooting um, grizzly sticks with the high FOC, and I was shooting a 650 grain, and Gage, I think, is shooting 575 or something like that. I don't remember what he's oh, shooting. Oh, good. Mm -hmm. But he got a complete pass-through on his bull, complete. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I hit mine, and, and, you know, everybody says, well, 
you know, the best thing is to hit them in the right spot. Well, yeah, that's good. Well, (laughs) (laughs) um, I hit mine and he turned on me right at the last, right before he came in, he turned on me and I hit him right um, behind, oh, I don't know, probably the fourth rib and came out the other side of him back towards his leg. And I broke the femur with that arrow coming out the leg. Wow. Yeah, that's the, and that's out of a 50-pound, well, it was a 55-pound recurve. And so, you know, that arrow was probably traveling 150 feet per second, you know. And so I'm a believer. I'll, I'll tell you right now, I'm a believer. And everybody says, well, yeah, they drop so much when you shoot a heavier arrow. Well, yeah, um, things do drop. But if you're elk hunting, there's no reason to take any shots, you know, past 20 yards, 25 yards. Well, I'm just listening with rapt attention, and in full disclosure, I should say for everybody out there, I also work intimately with Grizzly Stick. You know, I'm on the board of directors for the foundation, but I also work with Grizzly Stick. So I also talk to thousands of people every year, so I get lots right. of feedback, and this is the kind of feedback we get. And I'm, I'm, I'm loving it that you said Gage was at 575-ish, because that is not the heavy bone threshold by far. Right. But we have identified it as a sweet spot because I talk to elk hunters all the time that say, I have to be able to shoot 70 yards. That's just, you know, that's it. I have to be able to. So we always say, well, all right, but what good does it do you to shoot a light, fast arrow that allows you to hit your elk but not cleanly kill your elk? I mean, that's just kind of absurd. Why not have a little bit uh, – not so flat trajectory, but know that when your projectile gets there, you can harvest them cleanly. I mean, Gage was at 575, which is a sweet spot. Somebody that's not willing to go all the way to 650, 575 is a fantastic middle ground. It's not the heavy bone threshold, but at the same time, look at what you did with 50 pounds on an elk, transversing that animal and breaking the offside leg bone. The offside. But I also like to tell people 650 is not magic. It is not a missile. You know, each given bone, each given shot scenario is different. And the heavy bone threshold is specific to Asiatic water buffalo ribs. It is not an elk that's ducking, twisting, (laughs) running, you know, things can happen. Yes. So I tell people 650 build with a high mechanical advantage broadhead is not a guarantee but it does come with this guarantee if you didn't get through a bone with that setup you certainly wouldn't have gotten through the bone with anything less than agreed i and you know if i was shooting i I shot years before i got on that kick of trying to figure out how to shoot the flattest arrow you know and right if i was shooting those arrows i'm a little afraid that i would not have um got that bull i'm a little afraid i would have stuck him with an arrow and he would have probably died but right. he would have died somewhere where it would have been a long ways off. So, mm-hmm. I, and, and, you know, things happen. So when you overbuild your, your, your arrows, that's, that's the way I look at it. I overbuild my arrows as far as what people think, but when things happen, you can't overbuild. You can never get better. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, absolutely. And I have people all the time say, yeah, you know, that 650 seems a lot like overkill. And and I always say, well, here's the thing. 650 with the right broadhead on the front is like rifle hunting North America with a 30-06. Do you have to have a 30-06 on a whitetail? No, but it works really well. No matter what goes wrong. And, and another thing, with a whitetail, they can come in, especially if you're in a tree stand, they can come in all of a sudden. There they are. Yeah, right. And you don't have your typical, hey, I want a broadside shot or a quarter in a way. You don't get that opportunity. And here's this nice buck, and you're going, ah, ah. Well, with this type of equipment, you just have that mental picture of where the vitals are, and you shoot. Yeah. And when you have enough energy and you have enough arrow and you have enough broadhead, you can get through the bone and into the vitals and ethically harvest that animal. Yeah, that's one of the things, too, is with with the setup that I'm shooting, I feel really, really comfortable that if I do get too far forward into that elk, you know, mm-hmm. in, into the, into the uh, scapula, if I get too far forward in there, I know I'm going through it. I, 
you know, mm-hmm. if I if my shots within the reasonable range of what my reasonable range is, I'm not going to talk about other people's, but my sure. reasonable range, I know for a fact that I'll get through a scapula. I know for a fact with the setup that I'm shooting, and that's, and and, and you know, I mean, something could go wrong too. Who knows? But um, sure. But on normal instances, if I do crowd that front shoulder, and I always try to crowd the front shoulder on that shot because the heart is sitting underneath that front shoulder, so. That's what I'm trying to get to. Well, and I'm glad you mentioned that because one of the other beautiful things that a high FOC, heavier arrow with the, again, high mechanical advantage, single bevel broadhead, what it gives you is if there's any one complaint that I think is legitimate to a narrow, long broadhead, that is, hey, I'm not putting much blood on the ground. However, when you ask that guy, where are you shooting? What's your aiming point? Well, center mass lungs. You know, I don't want to hit the leg bone. Okay. Center mass lungs gives you a nice big margin of error. But if you shoot, especially from the ground on an elk, if you shoot center mass lungs, you might be causing a ton of bleeding, but it's not going on the ground. Yeah. So just like you said, you imagine where that heart is, and you take those blood vessels off the top of the heart, the blood pressure just drops and they go down way faster and with a lower entrance hole and exit wound you're going to put a lot more blood on the ground and I've done it the blood trails are spectacular with a little you know barely over an inch wide broadhead yeah yeah it, it's just you know I've shot I've shot one high that I was really tough to follow and then mm-hmm. I shot I shot one through the heart and he wasn't tough to follow because he died right in front of me. I, I watched <laughs> he didn't bleed didn't bleed a, a there bit. You go. He didn't bleed a bit, but um didn't yeah. need to. And so that's that's kind of what we're after with shooting what we shoot. And um with that said, moving into these broadheads, yeah, you know, looking into these the the way the broadhead system is, um mm-hmm. it's pretty interesting when you start talking broadhead design, you know, there's like, I don't know, you could go from the spectrum of mechanical broadheads all the way down to shoot even obsidian broadheads. There's so many different broadheads in the world. What, um, what, what have you found in, in all the stuff that you get to do? What have you found in broadhead design, the things that you really look for? Well, broadhead specific for killing purposes or just, well, it doesn't matter, all around. I'll probably not be able to keep them all straight in my head. But number (laughs) one is going to be structural integrity. I mean, they just, they have to be tough. Right, right. They have to be tough. If they bend, if they curl, I don't remember the numbers, but in Ashby's report, just a small little curl on the tip of a broadhead, he, he lost like... 14 to 20 percent of the penetration was lost if just a small little tip curl happened on a broadhead you know if you, and if you want to you know jump to tip design he tested so many different tip designs and the number one was the tanto it was the strongest on impact and he also tested it on all sorts of skip angles because when you think of we'll just talk elk but you know ungulates their their rib bones are curving in more than one direction and the animal isn't standing perfectly broadside to you and the entrance point the impact point of your broadhead is never really completely perpendicular to the bone or rarely rarely and so you've got a tanto tip that is anti-skip and doc tested this up to 45 degrees it was by far and away the least likely to skip so I would say absolutely look for a Tonto tip because some guys, I'm telling you what, they think they hit their animal perfectly and what happened was their tip glanced off a rib and it just kind of like slid down the side of the animal and stuck into the ground. They think they got a double long shot or something. Their broadhead never even necessarily made it inside the body cavity. You, you know, we, we saw that actually. My, my youngest son got his rifle tag and we went over and he shot a mule deer one year. And I bet you the person that shot that mule deer with an arrow thought for sure that they killed that that deer. Um, it it he hit him a little bit high, but it hit a rib, and then it followed the rib up and went through the back strap and came out his back. <laughs> wow! It, yeah, it was pretty crazy. Um, 
the little deer that my son shot and it when we got him down we were looking and he he had quite a few sores on him of course on that side but you could sure see exactly that's exactly what happened is it skipped up through the rib yep and so anyway back to the tanto tip that's the best tip design so if you're looking for broadheads i would say look for a tanto tip um, structural strength, the integrity so it doesn't break. Um, you want a smooth transition onto the ferrule. You don't want bumps or lumps or welds or like some of the skeleton ferrules are just, right. they just, when you test, you know, a hundred broadheads to each other and then you have your definite winners, you know, it's like kind of no offense to any of the broadhead companies out there that are making broadheads like this or this or this, but it's been shown to impede penetration. Right. So you want a nice smooth um, um, transference. You definitely want a high mechanical advantage. So to make sense out of that, if your broadhead has a one inch width and it's only one inch tall or long, that's more of a delta shape, a little flat triangle shape. And in our testing, those do they perform way less. And if you think about it, like I always like to use the analogy of a uh, of a uh, treadmill. You know, you ask a guy, "You ever been on a treadmill?" Yeah, of course. Well, what happens when you increase the angle of the of the treadmill? Well, it's harder to run. Exactly. That's an inclined plane. Right. So if you have a shallow incline, like a broadhead that might be three inches long and only one inch wide, it does more work with less energy. Right. It's easier to move a mass up that inclined plane. So it's easier for that high mechanical advantage broadhead to penetrate even bone. Bone, flesh, hide, lungs, everything. Right. It's easier. The shorter and shorter and shorter or the wider and steeper that angle gets, the more energy is required to drive it through. So, And, and something that people don't think about necessarily is once your bow launches your arrow, it has a fixed amount of energy and gravity is pulling on it and wind may be blowing on it and there's resistance even in the atmosphere sure. and it was it was awesome when we were doing the last podcast podcast that doc said even when you hit the animal that arrow is still flying it's just flying through an animal right right, right. <laughs> and you go and, until its path is stopped it's still flying so you want to keep as much energy in your arrow as possible so that when it gets there it can use what's left to do the penetrating because you want a complete pass through every time. You want a pneumothorax, you want a hemothorax, you want to collapse those lungs. You Like the one thing that they say, if you ever get impaled by something, leave it in. Don't pull it out. Right. You know, well, that, that's why. We even did a, we even had came up with a little analogy. You take a Ziploc bag and poke a bamboo, bamboo pour water in it and poke a, ba- poke a bamboo skewer right. through it. And the water will just slowly kind of ooze out around the holes. But you pull that arrow out and it just, you know, of course, pours out. And that's the logic behind collapsing the lungs. Get that projectile to go in and out. And the high mechanical advantage helps you with that. So you do want high mechanical advantage. Um, you, you need it to retain its edge. So if it if it gets dull by the time it passes through the hair and the hide, you're not going to be doing the bleeding. You're not going to be doing the cutting. And you want to really cut as much as you can, the blood vessels, you know, because we kill by blood loss right, as right. a rule. And and if you have if you've rolled your edge, if the steel isn't hard enough or sharp enough and you've rolled your edge as it's trying to penetrate, or even maybe you hit a near side shoulder blade, if your edge just rolls, that's the worst. If your edge rolls, it stops cutting. You know, you need a broadhead to be hard enough to retain its sharpness at least until it exits the animal, no yeah. matter what it hits. So you do need need to have a quality steel, and it needs to be razor sharp. And that's another one of the tenets is the edge profile or the edge finish. And that is that, especially in the stick bow side of things, you know, you have the Howard Hill followers, you have the Fred Bear followers, and Howard Hill used to kind of rake the broadhead or the file backwards along the edge and kind of create a mini serrated blade. And that works 
pretty decent. Howard killed a lot of stuff, but it's also been shown in testing to fill up with tissue, right? Clog, right. and then it stops. It's not as effective in cutting. And then even the Fred Bear thing about kind of like file sharpening, but leaving that when you look under a magnifying glass, you'll see kind of a kind of a rougher edge. But the same thing, you know, it works okay, but it doesn't work as well as a smooth, honed, stropped edge. Anybody that's cut themselves shaving, that you know, it makes sense right away. Like, yeah, that one bled and bled and bled and bled and bled. You know, one of the things that happens is the body doesn't say, "Ooh, I've been cut," and it doesn't send the clotting agents. And I don't know the complete clotting cascade diagram, so I can't go through it right now. But it's like when when uh, an entity or you know an animal is is shot with a sharp projectile like that, then the body produces this and that and this and that, and it compounds. And the bottom line is, the more ragged the cut, the more the brain says, "Ooh, I've been injured," and the more clotting agents it sends as well. And and a lot of us have seen an animal on video that has been, you know, the arrow just blows right through, and the animal might jump or look around and go, I wonder what the heck that was, and just keep feeding, tail wags a little bit, and before you know it, they wobble and tip over. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's normally a super sharp broadhead. So, you know, all of these things are going together to, to get your ideal broadhead. You also, I mean, this is somewhat the nature of the broadhead and the arrow, but um, Doc also found that as long as the end of the ferrule of your broadhead is 5% larger in diameter than the shaft, and these days we also, because some, some companies are using what's called a half-out, so the, so the broadhead is transitioning into the half-out's diameter, but as long as that insert then also gives 5% less, you know, greater than on the insert than the diameter of the arrow, the increase in penetration was, I don't always remember my numbers, 8 to 14%, huh. something like that. So so having a wider ferrule on the broadhead's a good thing. You know, years ago when I was shooting cedar, I accidentally ran across the same thing, another outcome-driven research type experience. I was just shooting whitetails, but I loved, at that time, I think it was the journeyman head, which is now Eclipse. And I I used 11/32ths on a 5/16ths because I thought I like the size, I like the shape, and then the 5/16ths were shooting well for me, so that's what I used. And I just shook. I mean, I blew through that deer that I shot with that so fast, and it wasn't till after years later reading Doc's studies <laughs> that I was like, well, that's why. Right, right. It's because the arrow shaft was so much smaller in diameter than where that ferrule. It just helped with the shook, the penetration. Yeah. It minimized the friction. Yeah, you know, and I bet you on different animals too. That's even a bigger, bigger deal. Like on a on a bear or something that's fattier, I bet you it's a mm-hmm. bigger deal to to make sure that you uh, open a bigger hole with your broadhead than your arrow. Well, that's a good point. Yep. Yeah. So and now we've talked about we've talked about um, the mechanical advantage, which you know w- the way that you describe that, I've always wondered about mechanical advantage but now that makes total sense (laughs) it makes total sense you know um with the treadmill thing and then also i've always kept a stroked edge i I believe in it that's just what i've always done and what about um blade profile so like a rounded blade compared to a straight i sure do like to to sharpen straight blades better well that also comes out of the straight incline plane you know, we were talking about the amount of angle being the mechanical advantage, but the, the but the like if you think about Doc always comes up with with great illustrations too. <laughs> he doesn't use the treadmill; he uses like wheelchair ramps, right? Right. So if if a convex shape, a curved curving out shape, if that shape was more effective and more efficient. All of our all of our handicap wheelchair ramps would be convexed, but they aren't because the straight inclined plane allows the most amount of work with the least amount of energy expended. So the straight edge is absolutely more efficient. It absolutely can do more work with less energy expended. 
there's it's not even arguable right you can try but it's just physics some of these things boil down to the physics behind them and a convex edge can work you have a heavy enough arrow you know you have an optimized arrow you look at the 12 factors and you implement as many as you can and if you opt for a convex edge over a straight edge profile well you're still going to be able to blow through bone you're still going to be able to harvest animals cleanly and effectively if everything is built right it's just that if you want to know which one's more efficient and more effective it's the straight edge right right and there's there's trade-offs to it all i mean so you know depending on how that broadhead's going to hold together compared to say a rounded edge you know those are all trade-off things I'm not sure where you're going with that. Uh, so, so say you know you get a longer broadhead, a higher mechanical advantage that makes the tip of that broadhead thinner down at the bottom. Um, and to a point, I mean, you you could run this to you know a long, you could run it out to the very logic of it, but uh, maybe that tip isn't going to be as strong as a convex broadhead down to that point. No, I got gotcha. you, and, and that's exactly true. Um, because at Grizzly Stick, there's a Samurai and there's a Maasai. The Samurai is straight edge and the Maasai is convexed. Right. And the Maasai has a blunter tip, so it's stronger. So you have a much greater likelihood of breaking off a tip on a Samurai than you do on a Maasai. But this is something that a lot of people don't think about either. The object is cl cleanly killing the animal. Yep. So if you want to break a tempered window on an automobile you use a tool that comes to a very small point to concentrate that energy into this small point which will allow that glass to initiate that shattering effect and if you use a, a broader point that spreads out the the energies further it's much much harder it takes much more energy to break that window yep. Yep. And we had feedback from somebody that was hunting Cape Buffalo, and and they happened to hit perpendicular to the grain because a lot of bone has a grain to it, and ribs have a longitudinal grain. Mm -hmm. They split on their longitudinal axis, and scapulas do a very similar thing. And this guy happened to hit one of the ribs with with a it was a Maasai with a so a convex head with a blunter tip or a wider tip and when he hit perpendicular to the grain of the bone he got about half the penetration that he got when he hit in line with the bone and I think he was also shooting uh, the higher mechanical advantage and so he compared it and said yeah I got about half the penetration but when your tip is only like I don't know, three sixteenths of an inch wide, and it's so it's more concentrated when you hit an elk scapula or whatever. It doesn't really matter where in its 360 degree rotation it was, it's still going to initiate that bone yeah. crack yeah. much easier. Right. Is the tip more prone to breaking? Of course it is, but which way do you want to go? Right. Do you want to have exactly. a tip that maybe if it lodges in the opposite shoulder blade and the animal runs off and the arrow is um, you know, moving laterally against it, it's going to break the tip? Or would you rather have, oops, I didn't hit in line with that grain of the bone, and shoot, I, I got about half the penetration I could have. Oh, you wouldn't know that, but that is one of the considerations. It's a stronger tip. And depending on what you're shooting, it's going to last longer possibly. But for me, every time I take a shot at an animal, I'm willing to lose that broadhead, lose yeah. that arrow. Yep. You know, I just want that animal. Yep. So. Yep. No, that's perfect. Uh, you, you said exactly what I was trying to say. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, so, good. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a payoff to everything, of course. And and when we're talking when we're talking these types of broadhead setups – now some of those payoffs to me, like a mechanical broadhead, I there's just so much that could go wrong there. When we look at broadhead design, after what uh, Doctor Ashby, you know, has, has done as what he's looked at, man, there's just too much, too much. <laughs> well, you know, 
I guess I'm going to liken that to when when he was studying the heavy bone threshold. So think about this. Um, I've come up with a kind of a kind of a different type of an analogy, but the heavy bone threshold was 650 grains. Sub 650 grains, he had about a 50-50 breach uh, rate. So if a, if an arrow was 500 grains, well, sometimes it got through the near side rib and sometimes it didn't. And and sometimes people have a hard time understanding. Well, you know, I don't I don't get it. You know, if I'm 600 grains. Well, in his testing, it was 650. Well, just slightly below, but 650. And so if you have a plate glass window on a tabletop, and it's rated for 15 pounds, and you drop a 15-pound bowling ball on it, well, let's say it breaks half the time. But you drop a 16-pound bowling ball on it, it breaks every time. Right. So the point I'm making is if you want to set yourself up for more positive, more likelihood of that success, then in that scenario you you'd go with the 650 grains. Right. So you want to shoot something that's going to work as much as you can control it 100% of the time. Right. Right. And especially if you're looking, you know, like uh, if you're looking at the speeds that we're shooting with uh, trad bows for sure. I mean, there's not that much difference between the fastest trad bow and the slowest trad bow out there. Especially in that in that realm, you really have to look at um, the best way to to give yourself an advantage is just going up in arrow weight. I, I mean, it, it's it's kind of a no brainer. Well, arrow weight and all the twelve factors. Because yeah, there yeah. was recently a gal, seventy four years old, forty four pound recurve. I just let that settle in there a little bit. Forty four pound recurve. I believe it was a 650 grain build, high mechanical advantage broadhead, one shot kill on a Cape Buffalo. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. Now, that... if that's not a testament to the fact that if you really pour yourself into your arrow and your broadhead combination, you can set yourself up for lethal success even when things go wrong. I don't know what is. Right. Right. Yeah, and that that's one of the things that, you know, when I'm looking at arrows, and, man, I've, I've gone through the whole gamut of this. You know, you listen to a lot of different things. The leather wall had a bunch of different things on it about how to set up arrows and things like that. And mm -hmm. when you start, if you start really looking at it and running the numbers and looking at momentum numbers, it just makes total sense. Well, and then you add in all the other factors, you know, but um, just makes sense to shoot that heavy arrow and um, – then you start talking mechanical advantage as a part of that. That's what got me to a two-bladed broadhead. And I've always, mm -hmm. you know, I've always said, well, shoot, I, I need a three-blade because I, I just don't get those, the the blood like I do with, you know, with a three-blade. Well, sure. Um, you know, quite honestly, if, if you're being able to shoot through that front shoulder and get to the heart, it's not as big of a deal as, as it is getting that arrow stuck all the way in the animal. That's what's going to give you your blood trail. So, well, sure, you know, sure. And, and for the record, in Ashby's testing, the three blade was the worst on bone. So, if you want to shoot a three blade for better blood, totally get it, stay away from the bone, right. it's the worst. Actually, a four blade does better through bone than a three blade, right? Right, and then, of course, uh, uh, if you're going to shoot a three blade or a four blade one that's longer and has the less mechanical advantage, but you're adding another blade to the mechanical advantage thing. So that's, that's kind of the trade off. Sure. Yeah. There's more resistance, but you do get more cutting. Right. I mean, a high mechanical advantage, three blade broadheads really good when bone isn't hit. Right. Right. And then when you start looking at, um, so we've gone over, you know, the mechanical advantage, we've gone over the, the blade edge, and we've talked about the blade shape. Now, what about um, uh, blade edge, blade shape? What about the actual material of the broadhead? Is that something that, that has been looked at a lot, or do you guys know? Have you looked at a lot or heard a lot about it? Well, sure, but that comes under all those characteristics that we talked about. You know, you don't want your edge to to curl you don't want your edge to break like again with grizzly stick there's two types of steels that we use AUS4 
isn't the steel that 440C is, but it makes a fantastic broadhead. And you want it to be able to hold an edge. You want it to be able to be easily resharpened. And straight edge broadheads are easier to resharpen as well. Right. But, but you know, it's, you know, like some people say, well, if your broadhead rusts, that's a horrible thing. And, you know, I, I'm kind of neutral on that. I, I, if it's rusting your finished edge, I guess. But, you know, so I don't think a broadhead has to be stainless steel. I think a broadhead can be any kind of a high-quality, good cutlery-grade steel that's strong enough to bust through bone, you know, and survive. So, uh, you know, I don't have specifics. There are many high-end cutlery steels that are used in broadheads out there today, and as long as it's a good high-end steel, tempered good and hard, so you don't roll that edge. That's that's the thing. And and that and for us, it's always uh, the optimum hardness has been between say 54 or 56, maybe 57 Rockwell. We try to keep it as as low as we can so that we don't curl when we hit but we keep it as high as we can to also not curl you don't want to you don't want to deform the edge so right. you want it as you don't want it too brittle because whenever we had long ago batches that hit 60 that was just too brittle and you know 58 even the original silver flame german kinetic broadhead was 58 rockwell well we backed off that even. It was just a little too brittle. So you don't want breakage. And Doc said it really well. He said something like, you dance a fine line between <laughs> hardness and softness. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of like you don't want it too soft. You don't want it too hard. You want it just right. Yeah. And so, and that, and that's a, that's based on the steel. Like you can take steel and the heat treat process is going to bring out the best in it. So, for instance, the 440C, if it's going through a double sub-zero quenching type process, that brings out the absolute best in that steel. Right, right. And that's what that's what your heat treat process is supposed to do. You find yourself a steel, you find out the best heat treat process. Of course, you test it out, and you see where you go from there. Right. Now, one last thing that I'm going to ask you about broadhead design, okay. and, mm -hmm. and that's the, um, the edge itself. So, there, you know, you got... A uh, uh, single edge, or you got a beveled broadhead, single bevel, and a double mm -hmm. bevel. Um, what has what what has been found to be the 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 better of the two as far as penetration is concerned? Well, that's interesting. That's a great question. So you would think that the double bevel would give you the deepest penetration. Because a double bevel, well, we haven't talked about how they work. So a double bevel, everybody's familiar with that. Most hunting knives are sharpened that way. They have normally an equal bevel on either side. And so it might be a 30 degree and a 30 degree, we'll say. And so when that's going through the atmosphere and through an animal, there's equal pressures on both sides. So it's pretty much going in a straight line. Whereas a single bevel has a flat side with a bevel angle of zero and it has a beveled side and I'm most familiar with the 25 degree angle mm -hmm. on those and so that comes to a it doesn't have to be a sharper but it is a it's more readily made sharper than than the double bevel shape and the double bevel being, if it is 30 and 30, that's a total of 60. And so the molecules on either side of that sharpened edge are supporting that finished edge. And on the 25 degree and zero degree edge, they aren't. So we found that if you want to increase the structural integrity or reduce, like, because you can get chipping on those edges when they go through bone or hit rock and stuff like that, there are two things you can do. You can raise the angle on the beveled side and have like a mini angle or a micro bevel. So you might be coming from the highest part, 25, 25, 25, and then maybe you jump it up to a 30. And that means that now instead of a 25 and a zero, now you have a 30 and a zero. So those molecules are more supported. So it will reduce the chipping and uh, give it a little more longevity and or you can also do a micro bevel on the flat side to vary at the very 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 edge 
that now if you have a whatever we'll say a 30 degree micro bevel and a 30 degree mini bevel on the top they meet together and it's now the same as the the double bevel it's a total degrees of 60 so it's going to be equally strong to sideways chipping chattering anything like that right so that's a strategy that you can use and it won't really affect your rotational force because the surface area of the bevel on a single bevel the the more surface area you have the greater the rotational effect but back to which one penetrates best it's weird but in Ashby's testing so he tried it he compared it he compiled the results in in all circumstances the single bevel broadhead out penetrated the double bevel broadhead mm -hmm. yeah and I, I was wondering also about the the single bevel broadhead seems to open up a hole a uh, little bit better as well as it's twisting when it hits it seems like to me well again in his testing there was an l-shaped uh hole and there was an s-shaped hole and what seems to happen especially with a slower moving projectile so with grizzly stick I talk to a lot of compound shooters right and their speeds are faster and right, I don't right. think they see that as much although a single bevel broadhead is rotating like we said before as soon as it leaves the bow right it, it's it's revolving and as it enters if the hide somewhat like yields with it on that tanto tip if it kinda grabs a little bit and then twists it slightly that's where you get that L-shaped or that S-shaped entrance wound so it's not just a slit always and the same thing can happen as it goes through lungs if you look at a, a set of lungs that have been penetrated with a single bevel sometimes they look like they were they were hit with a rifle and Doc used to do he calls it a starburst pattern same thing if you hit too far back and you get in the guts there's if you if you can like take a take a a t-shirt and he would put it on the tabletop and he would revolve it like one quarter turn I think is all he did just one little quarter turn and then he would push it through the t-shirt and then hold it up for the crowd to see and you'd see cut 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 you'd see all these little holes where the where the daylight was shining through hmm. well that's the starburst effect so not only did the single bevel out penetrate but it also revolves as it goes and softer yielding tissues tissues seem to wrap themselves a little bit around it as it's going through because it's rotating and then as it forces itself past them it cuts 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 it just cuts much more and and sometimes i used to say to a guy you know if you if you if you remember the old slinkies or think of a spring and your spring is whatever 12 inches wide well if you pull that spring out it's a lot longer and and when a when a double bevel broadhead goes through it goes through 12 inches or right. 20 inches but a single bevel broadhead is rotating as it goes through so it's actually cutting more more right more surface area more blood vessels and and doc always likes to say too that when it's rotating you have a higher likelihood of cutting these blood vessels on the bias you know um, not just straight across but more a, a diagonal cut and a diagonal cut of course allows more blood to come out of that vessel yeah wow yeah that, that makes a whole lot of sense when you start thinking that direction um, especially especially the slinky theory <laughs> that, yeah <laughs> that, well in the rotation they're not spinning like tops you right, know? right, not. right I think it's about one revolution every 16 inches so it's not incredible but when you you know when you're when you're trying to add up all these different factors to make your most effective possible build yeah. Yeah. knowing that broadhead a there might not be much difference but broadhead a is going to cut more when it goes through right why wouldn't I pick that one right right and that's that's kind of why I wanted to get you on here to let people start thinking about what they're putting on the end of their arrows because a sure. lot of people don't give it that kind of thought you know it looks deadly but if you start really, <laughs> you know what I mean? Look at the picture on that package. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I'll, I don't want to pick on any certain broadhead, but I see some of these serrated broadheads out there and I'm like, what in the world? And you guys sure. are buying this stuff. And, mm -hmm. uh, or, or you watch some of these movies where they have these broadheads that curl back around. <laughs> and I'm like, sure. Come mm -hmm. on guys. Uh, uh -huh. 
So when you, when you start talking about this stuff, that's why I wanted to bring you on here because I, I know you'll be able to to let people start thinking about what they're actually doing with these broadheads when they're putting them on the end of their arrows. So sure, you've done a very good job of that. I really appreciate it. And I know we could talk about this. Thanks, for, we could probably talk about this for hours and hours and hours, and we probably should. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think we've covered enough now that guys will be able to go out and and you know look at look at broadheads and then understand the differences between them and then sure. start talking start looking at you know different weights and foc and we'll have to bring you back on and talk that, those things but um i think sure. i think we've helped a bunch of people here so um i think we're gonna have to probably stop from here and then we'll right. we'll pick you up another time to start talking about some of the other uh factors of arrows and and sure. foc and those things i think we need to do that down the road because you've just opened up a, a whole can of worms kind of like <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like bringing it bringing dr dr ashby's stuff to the waves you know and people are going to start listening to this so i appreciate having you on here and i appreciate what you've uh went over and i appreciate the the simplification of all the physics that are going on in this that you've done a good job of doing that well thanks and i still want to encourage everyone to check out ashbybowhunting.org check us out we got a lot of good information on there and we also need those donations so yes and support us please yeah and you know i during this i went over to um i went over to the website and it's not only it's a really well put together website and there's some really cool stuff on there so there's also merchandise. You, I didn't didn't yeah. mention the merchandise, but that would be really. I'm, there is. I'm gonna have to get one of those stickers and put it on my, uh, put it on the Suzuki because that's that's there really cool. There uh, you go. All right, guys. Well, this is another edition of Bearbow Hunter, and we're gonna have to get Todd back on here and talk later because I know people are gonna. I know this is gonna be a popular podcast and. People are going to want to know more about how to set up their arrows. So we're, we're going to get you back on here if I can. You got it. No problem. My pleasure. All right. Until then, you guys, uh, thanks for listening to Bearbow Hunter Podcast. And again, you can go over and check out all of our stuff anywhere on the web. And, uh, of course, we have our website, barebowhunters.com. Until then, you guys shoot straight. Thanks for joining us for another installment of the Barebow Hunter podcast. Remember, we couldn't even be talking about this stuff if it wasn't for our public land. So go and support the people that are protecting it, backcountry hunters and anglers and TRCP. Also, if you'd like to see more of Barebow Hunters, go to our Facebook group, go to our Instagram at Barebow Hunters, like us, and hashtag all of your photos with your Barebow goodness in them, Barebow Hunter. We have a website as well. You can go over there, check out the rest of the podcast. We have videos, we have t-shirts and hats. Thanks again. Until then, shoot straight. <laughs>